0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you bring in more revenue without having to work so hard for it. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today, I want to talk about tactical and mindset problems. I want to talk about these so that you can make better sense of your experience in your business and why sometimes it might feel so hard, and to know that there are both tactical problems and mindset problems in your business, and it's not a problem to have both kinds of problems, that both kinds of problems are imminently solvable, and how to approach a problem when you don't know if your problem is tactical or mindset in nature. So a couple of things before we dive in. At a high level, tactical answers are pretty easy to find. You can find them on Google, you can find them in books, you can find them coming from the experts that you listen to who are good sources of guidance on the kind of problem that you're trying to solve. Tactical answers are usually pretty easy to find. What is harder to find are mindset answers, right? They're a little bit running beneath the surface, they run in the background, and oftentimes our thoughts appear to us as true. Now, our thoughts are real, but that doesn't mean that they're true. And yet we spend a lot of time believing our thoughts. We believe our thinking because after all, if I thought a thought, why would I think a false thought? That would be dumb. Why would we think false thoughts? But we think false thoughts all the time. The brain was designed to avoid pain and seek pleasure and conserve energy, right? And so oftentimes it draws very simple conclusions based on what it sees. And once it draws the conclusion, if it's That feels satisfactory, then it keeps that conclusion. So you may have thought errors, bugs in your brain's operating system and its way of thinking that have been there for a long, long time, and you've managed to figure out workarounds or whatever, you've made it work for you, no big deal. And so we don't uncover our false thinking. It's just it's hidden to us. But, and that's a problem in our business, right? Because what happens is we get the tactical answer to a problem, but then we can't implement it. Or we try to implement it and we get stuck or we get paralyzed or we freeze. Or we try and solve the problem with tactics and we just keep hitting the same nail with the same hammer thinking that we have a tactical problem, not realizing that what in fact we have is a mindset problem, right? And so we're not actually solving the correct problem. And when we do this in our businesses, we waste time and we get frustrated and things appear like they don't work and you want to throw in the towel and so on. And I don't want that for you. What I want for you is to be able to effectively solve the problems in your business. It's not a problem that your business has problems. That's what businesses do. They're like gardens that push up weeds. Like that's just what they do. And it's really helpful to be able to, on the regular, solve them and not just stick them in the back where they tend to, if you ignore them, they either stay there and they stay the same size or they grow in size, right? They usually don't resolve themselves. Sometimes they do when you get lucky. But typically over time, they at least stay the same or they get worse. And I don't want that for you because then you have problems that get bigger and bigger over time and then they just become this big thing Typically, in your mind, that you don't know how to solve, and it's been like a sliver under your skin for so long, and it's like kind of calloused over, but every now and then you're like, oh, that thing is still there. I want for your business to run easily, to run smoothly, to be predictable, to be calm, to be a wonderful place to work where you enjoy it, and your employees enjoy it, and they're well compensated, you're well compensated, and your clients get great results. And there are no fires, there's no chaos. And you can have that. It's just a matter of solving problems. So before I dig in to the nature of the tactical problems and their their undercurrent mindset problems, I want to give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, just to make it real and give you a picture. So just imagine a person who oftentimes is ten or fifteen minutes late. Does't matter when, what time of day, what the circumstances are. they're just ten or fifteen minutes late. And you think, huh, I wonder, If that person just needs a watch and some clocks on the walls, so you give them a watch and you put clocks on the walls, and if suddenly they're like, oh, thank you, that's great, I just didn't know what the time was, and now they run on time, then great, you had a tactical problem and you solved it with a tactical solution. But what happens to the person who runs 10 or 15 minutes late and you give them a watch and you put clocks on the walls and they still run 10 or 15 minutes late? You gave them a tactical solution, but they didn't have a tactical problem, they had a mindset problem. Perhaps they think, let me just get one more thing done, right? They're shoehorners, and they try and cram one more thing in where it doesn't really fit. Or maybe the meetings that they're going to, they're dreading, and a way to not expose themselves to the dread of being in the meeting is to simply show up 10 or 15 minutes late. Or maybe they're overly optimistic about how long things actually take in real reality. So they don't allow enough time. And as a consequence, they run 10 or 15 minutes late. Or maybe they go to meetings and they don't have any kind of planned agenda. So they jibber jabber for 45 minutes and they wander all around the bush. And then when they realize they have 15 minutes left, they're like, oh, maybe we should get down to business. What were we supposed to talk about? Why are we even having this meeting? Right, And then they only have 15 minutes left, but turns out once they focus, they've got some actual stuff they need to talk about. And then the meeting goes long and then they're 10 to 15 minutes late. Or maybe they're meeting with a person who is a total yammerer and they don't want to be rude and cut that person off. So rather than have the script, which is something like, hey, it's this has been really great. I've enjoyed speaking with you. I do have another commitment in 15 minutes so we should begin wrapping up and then we'll figure out when our next meeting time is to um, hash out any details they don't have a simple script and they don't have a way of being neutral about it they're wrapped up in being upset and not wanting to upset the other person or piss them off or be rude so instead they let that person yammer on and then they're 10 or 15 minutes late so you can see a bunch of mindset problems that have nothing to do with wearing a watch or having clocks on the wall also with a mix of tactical problems, right? Sometimes it's really helpful to have the right script so you can say things in a way that is gracious or diplomatic so that you don't come across as abrupt or rude. All right, let me give you another example. The other day I was listening to a podcast episode and the guest was explaining, telling a story to the host and she was saying something along the lines of, I got this promotion and it was a really great opportunity and I was really excited about it. It was kind of a dream job and my husband was really supportive of it and he was excited for me and we thought it was a good idea and we have two young kids so we moved them across the country and I took the job and it was all awesome and everything but between the stress of the new job and the move, I gained 20 pounds. And so you can imagine that story and you can probably imagine nodding along and being like, yep, I can imagine how somebody would be stressed out because of those circumstances and that they would gain 20 pounds in that situation. But the thing is that eating doesn't solve for stress. So if just imagining, totally imaginary example here. If that person is super stressed out and they realize they're starting to put on a few pounds and they don't want to and say they work with some kind of weight loss or nutrition coach who suggests to them 1,800 to 2,000 calories a day and macronutrients and proteins this and, you know, flaxseed and omega-3 that and eight cups of water and all the tactics but that coach doesn't explore why are you eating in the first place? Oh, it's to soothe your stress. Oh, let's find some techniques that you can use to soothe your stress when you're feeling stressed out, which makes total sense because you have two kids and you're moving across country and taking a new high dealio job. If the coach doesn't identify the actual problem, they're going to prescribe a solution that's ineffective. And you can imagine all the reasons that people eat, including stress and boredom and procrastinating snacking and sneaking food as if somehow you're sneaking it from somebody who's surveilling you or sadness or there's comfort food or, you know, eating now so that I'm not hungry later or I didn't want to not finish my plate and offend the host or it was a birthday. What was I supposed to do? Be the only one not eating cake? Right. All kinds of mindset issues around the tactics, which can be very straightforward eat until a little bit before you're full and then stop eating, right? 1,800, 2,000 calories a day. For a lot of people, counting doesn't work because it's not the solution to the problem. We need to know the solution to the problem, right? All kinds of mindset issues. I don't want to be the one to waste food. One more bite won't hurt, right? Like all those things. Having the tactic doesn't always solve the problem. But, you know, the people who sell shakes, the diet industry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but they don't care that if their tactics don't work they're happy to continue selling shakes but I care that you get your problem solved because I don't think it's good for anybody when accountants are overworked it's not good for the accountant it's also not good for their dozen or a couple hundred clients it's not good for anybody and there is a societal ripple of downstream effect when accountants are overworked (laughs) when it comes to problems I'm something of a dog with a bone like you can't take it away from me I see the problem of accountants working way too many hours. They're ostensibly smart people. Being smart has nothing to do with it, right? If I'm so smart, why can't I lose weight? If I'm so smart, why am I working so hard, right? Same kind of thing. Being smart has nothing to do with losing weight. Being smart has nothing to do with working 60 hours a week. There are tactical challenges and there are mindset challenges. So we deal with both of them. So let's take a step to the left here for a moment Your business boils down to knowing who you're selling to, what they wanna buy, and learning how to sell it to them. Knowing who you're selling to is your ideal buyer, your avatar, your position, your niche, call it whatever you want, sweet potato or yam, almost the same thing, close enough, slice it up and put it in the oven. Let's not split hairs over tubers. Knowing what they want to buy is very interesting. A lot of accountants think that their clients want to buy accounting and accounting services. So they sell a lengthy ingredient list comprising accounting services. Accounts payroll, accounts receivable, financial statements, month-end close, operational KPIs and a four pound bag of overhead ratios. If you follow me on LinkedIn or you're on my email list, you might have seen one of my recent posts which was around the ingredient list of an Oreo cookie. And just imagine yourself standing in the cookie aisle before the Keebler Elves and imagine a white packet upon which it says flour, lecithin, leavening, salt, sugar, cocoa, and other rising agents. Just imagine a black and white package. You'd be like, uh, I don't think I'm gonna buy that, right? There's no twist. There's no creamy filling. There's no dunk and no splash. That makes an oreo cookie a heavenly experience the ingredient list of an oreo cookie is rather dull and unappealing dare i say and so it is with calculations and projections and scenarios and planning and budgets like oh god no thank you but when you don't understand your buyer and what they want and what experience they desire to have right the twist and the creamy filling and the splash and the dunk then your next best option, it makes perfect sense, is to sell the ingredient list, because you know what it is. The problem is that your buyer doesn't know what it is, and they can't connect the dots between ingredient list and twist and dunk and splash. And your buyer cannot, your buyer cannot connect a four pound bag of ratios and operational KPIs to how much cash above normal cash flow they need in order to build a building. Let me take this one step further and talk about eggs. So imagine yourself before the array of eggs And at the bottom there's the ones in the gray styrofoam and they have a little blue bar and it's like 12 white jumbo eggs, $2.99. And then a little bit above that you have the fancier eggs. So I want you to ask yourself as you wash the dishes or walk the dog, why do you buy eggs and what are you buying? Are you buying 12 whites, 12 yolks and 12 shells? That is technically what you're buying But as you rise up in the case, you're buying cage-free hens, and organic cage-free hens, and grain-fed hens, and happy chickens, and chickens who go to the hen spa. Now, some people, it really matters that their hens are well-treated and get massages on the regular. Other people don't care, they just want eggs. And there's a buyer for every level on that case in the egg aisle. I would love to know why you buy eggs I buy eggs so that I can whisk them up, load them down with gruyere, and pack a rainbow full of vegetables inside them so that my kids will get vegetables. That's why I buy eggs. That's not why everybody buys eggs, but that's why I buy them. Now imagine the egg farmer who decides to market his dozen eggs as 12 whites, 12 yolks, and 12 shells. Now it takes conversations with your clients to really understand what it is that they are actually buying beyond the accounting, beyond the understanding of the numbers. They have an agenda, a personal agenda that goes much deeper than that. It takes some uncovering. It is a tactical problem. Okay, the next piece is how to sell to your client the thing they want to buy. So there's a mindset piece in here. There is a spectrum and at one end there is dirty selling and all the way at the other end there is clean selling and there's a lot of room in between. Dirty selling you've probably been on the receiving end of, which includes the, um, the slimy tactics and the schmarmy, and the pushy and the salesy and the trying to convince you and the downright lying and the untruthfulness in some cases or information that is important but omitted. All that stuff falls into the dirty selling camp. And sometimes because we, you know, through the experiences of our lives have experienced dirty selling, we associate selling with dirty. But there is a huge spectrum between there and clean selling. And clean selling, I'll do a thorough treatment on a future episode of clean selling, but for now, think of clean selling as being fully in service to your buyer and only selling to them something that solves the problem that they have, that is the solution that they are looking for, the process will work for them and they will get the results that they're looking for with clear and transparent and upfront pricing, with no attachment from you about the money. You're helping your client, your buyer, to make a clear decision with all the facts about their potential success in working with you. That's clean selling. Selling can be dirty and selling can be clean and lots of ways in between. But if the CPA believes that all selling is dirty and they don't want to sell and selling is somehow beneath them, they're going to avoid selling. And guess what that does to revenue when you avoid selling? So your business is who do you want to sell to, what do they want to buy, and how to sell it to them. So now I will get into the meat of tactical and mindset problems of these three things. So the first one, positioning, right? Your ideal buyer, your avatar, your position, yammer, sweet potato, same thing. So niching is a tactical problem. The question is, where should I niche to? There's no single right answer for any single person. There are lots of viable niches, there are lots of wonderful niches that will work for you. Some niches that work for my current clients are real estate, restaurants and bars, 10,000 acre farmers, six and seven figure coaches, private practice physicians and W2 physicians, female law firm owners, seven and eight figure, nonprofits and two to $10 million construction company owners. Lots of viable niches for you. Tactically, how do we figure out what is a great niche for you? typically is simply a conversation or two or three about the nature of the work you like to be doing, the kinds of people that you like to be working with and for, the ways that you can help people, and where is your expertise, right? And we find the combination of all those things and we find the marketplace for it and we make sure it's a match and provided that it is, off you go. So when a client is working with me and we take a meeting or two or three, to look around for a nice fit niche for them and they find one that seems like a good fit and they off they go they go off running then great but sometimes that doesn't happen sometimes they avoid it sometimes they resist it so we need to find out why right so the tactical problem is simply finding a right fit niche that has the right kind of clients doing the work you enjoy for the right revenue level so it all pencils out but the mindset problem that might be underneath it if the client isn't progressing isn't if the client isn't making progress might be I don't want to be bored I don't want to be doing the same thing all the time every day or which we address I've yet to have a client be bored in their niche so far nobody's complaining about more money and more free time boredom has yet to be a problem it's not to say that it can't be But I have yet in practice to see it be a problem. But it sounds entirely plausible, right? But it's just a mindset thing that we need to uncover. Another one is I don't want to limit myself. I don't want to limit my revenue. So we need to address this one because really their business is limited right now by being a generalist. Their revenue is limited. The value they can provide is limited. And the expediency, the efficiency of their systems are limited because their clients They have a client in nonprofit. They have one that owns a school. They have one construction. They have a random $40 million manufacturer. They, you know, have a bunch of individual clients and they have your regular all the mom and pop shops from around town. They just have a smattering of clients. It makes it really difficult to run efficient systems. So not niching is in many ways already limiting. It's a mindset thing we need to uncover, not a big deal. And then they might be concerned about recessions so we address the concern about recessions because if you're the expert in the restaurants and bars when there's a recession who are they going to go to the generalist cpa or are they going to go to the expert cpa who only works with restaurant owners and understands financials of restaurants and knows how to improve and drive profitability for restaurant and bar owners of course you're going to go to the expert during recession not the generalist so there's a lot of fear about recession and if you are doing a great job for your clients, one of the things that you're doing is setting them up with three to six months or more of operating expense reserves so that if there is a recession, they are the ones with the most runway compared to the generalist CPA who is unavailable to do that to help the client establish three to six months of cash flow runway and those clients are payroll to payroll. So which restaurant's going to go out of business first? The one with a generalist CPA. So niching, positioning is a tactical problem and it comes with all kinds of mindset concerns that are totally normal, that make perfect sense in the mind of the person who's niching and we just need to surface them so we can address them. Next one is what do your clients want to buy? So this is a tactical problem. Learning to understand what your clients want to buy is involves setting up conversations with five to eight of your favorite kinds of clients. We set you up with the script, which basically includes, this is not a sales conversation, I'm here to understand your challenges and your needs more because we want to improve the level of service that we provide for our clients and provide a deeper level of support. And I would love to be able to simply ask you questions for 30, 40 minutes if you're available to help me better understand what you're facing in your business so that I can serve clients like you better, right? And I will not sell to you, that's not what the purpose of this meeting is. And so you have the script, and then we have a finite list of questions, and we send you off, you pick your five or eight clients that you want to meet with, or buyers who are like the ones that you want to be working with, and you set up coffee, or cocktails, or beer dates, and you go and you have your conversations with them, and you come back with your findings. Highly tactical. If my client doesn't want to do this, no big deal, there are mindset issues under there, we surface them. And those mindset issues might be, I didn't have time, or I just feel awkward, or I don't want to impose or be a burden to my clients, they're really busy, or I don't know how to say it, I don't quite know how to word it, in which case we just revisit the script and we, you know, role play and try it again. Or a very clever one, an invented fire, so as to have a plausible excuse for not doing it. Also, no big deal. We tend to invent fires. Our brains are really good at protecting us, right? They want to avoid pain. It is one of their three primary jobs and they can be sneaky. So we got to watch out for invented fires. Understanding your buyer is a highly tactical problem. And if there are undertoes of mindset issues, not a big deal. We surface them. Next one, selling. This is happens almost with every single client of mine because the accounting space traditionally historically has come from a sort of hourly billing which leads to order taking like call me and ask me what you want and I'll do it and I'll send you the bill and what is not billable is a conversation around what is it that you're really trying to achieve what are your objectives what are your goals what are your aims what is it that you what's the outcome that you really want that's not a billable conversation so historically there hasn't been an incentive to have it But when you get off billable and you flat rate and you price up front and your goal is now to provide a high quality service for your clients that achieves certain aims in their business or in their real estate investing situation or what have you, now suddenly it's really valuable to have a conversation about offering them a higher level of service. But of course, this isn't the normal conversation. So oftentimes, my client, the CPA, simply needs a script for how do I introduce this idea? How do I bring this up in a conversation? I, like, I just don't know what the bridge is. Like, what's the sentence? What's the lead-in to talk about this? Highly tactical problem. And the script often sounds something like: Hi, client, in our firm, we're making some changes and some imp- and some improvements to how we serve our clients. And we've had a few clients who've approached us about Um, certain higher levels of services and we've been piloting those and they so far the results are good and you came to mind as somebody who might potentially be interested in these in these level of services because your business is similar to theirs is this something that you might be interested in talking about you simply open the door to the conversation and you ask for interest and permission to talk about it you don't simply launch into your spiel highly tactical If we give a CPA the tactic of, here's how you introduce the conversation, and they go into the meeting with the client and they don't have the conversation, then we need to know what are the mindset issue or issues that came up. And it might be like, I felt bad, or it was such a big price increase that I kind of got scared off, or I got stage fright, or I felt awkward. Or I didn't want them to freak out and stand up and walk out the door. There might be any number of reasons that they became paralyzed or they got brain fog in the moment and they just couldn't recall the script. No big deal. Mindset issues, we just need to surface them so we can solve for the right problem. So three areas of your business, of your accounting practice that are critical to your success. They are knowing who you're selling to, what they want to buy, and how to sell it to them. Positioning, understanding your buyer, and selling all of them have highly tactical solutions and they have mindset problems that tend to come along with them. So we need to give you the tactical solution and then see what happens and if it doesn't work, if you can't solve it with the tactical solution, then we need to explore the mindset challenges and surface those and address those fine solutions to the mindset challenges. So before I wrap up, a couple other areas where this crops up, of course, pricing not a problem. We have the tactical answers for pricing. We have enough CPAs who are working with a variety of clients inside a variety of niches, inside in certain revenue bands, that we have a strong sense of what going prices are or make sense for certain clients in certain places at certain times. We know the prices. We have those. But there are, of course, mindset issues around pricing. My clients will never go for that. They'll never pay this for that. My clients are cheap and on and on. We need to address both. Same thing with packaging. We know what makes sense for bronze, silver, gold. On the whole, it's a little bit different. You know, there are small variations on a theme, but on the whole, we know what works for bronze, silver, gold and for single one-time offerings like strategy sessions or VIP days or diagnostics, assessments, project work, that kind of thing. These have highly tactical solutions, but they also come with mindset challenges around, um, especially around perfectionism and wanting to get it right. So we deal with those. Another common one is disengaging. Disengaging clients, especially if you're listening live after tax season. We have plenty of template disengagement letters that we can tailor so they sound like you and they strike the right tone and they make sense tailored to your client and their situation. If we give you the template disengagement letters and you don't send them out, then we have a mindset problem. And it might be around a sense of loyalty that you have and disengaging sort of bumps up against your sense of loyalty. So then we ask, how can you be loyal to your clients while you find them a new home? Or maybe you feel a sense of loss because you've worked with certain clients for 20 or 30 years and you know them and now you know their children and so on. And disengaging can feel like a sense of loss. So it's a mindset thing and we bring it up, not a big deal. Or maybe there's a fear of letting go. And maybe if clients are associated with revenue, it feels like letting go of revenue. So we deal with, we look at the revenue and the potential revenue of what you're going to bring in when you niche and you reprice and you better understand your buyer and you better communicate the value and compare the incoming potential revenue with the revenue that is currently being gripped right? You cannot climb a ladder if you're unwilling to let go of the rung you're holding onto. Or there might be concerns about wading into uncertainty and you've never done this before and CPAs don't disengage clients. They have clients for life and all the rest. Another one is website copy and feeling like, and, um, you know, there's a reason that we didn't major in English literature, right? We're not writers. We're numbers people. We're not good at writing, but really when you understand your buyer and their challenges, And you give yourself permission to write in layman's terms and the jargon that your clients use and the turns of phrase that they use and you talk about them and their problems and the things that they have tried and why those things didn't work and how you have the solution that you know will work and you have the process and it's entirely doable. And here it is. When you can say that super simply, then it becomes really easy to write website copy And then you can take that website copy and you use it for your social media and then you have social media posts that get traction because they're speaking to somebody specific about their specific problem and the solution and you have the process and here it is and it's simple and doable. And that gets traction in a way that the general posts about let me explain gross profit and cost of goods sold and these accounting concepts and um, business tax deadlines and personal tax deadlines don't get that much traction and don't really grab that much interest so website copy highly tactical lots of great mindset stuff and then of course there's time I did a whole episode with Don Goldberg number 232 go back and check it out your relationship with and to time and how you use it and how you don't use it and how you think about it all play into how many hours a week you will work and lastly is money mindset I'm digging deeper into this specific topic on a future episode, but at a high level, the two most common limiting beliefs that I come across with my own CPA clients are, I would love to make X amount of money, but I don't want to feel guilty, and I don't want to be greedy. Guilt and greed are the two most common reasons cited for not wanting to make more money. But the thing is that more money is a neutral circumstance. More money doesn't cause guilt or greed. More money is neutral and has no power to cause guilt or greed. But most of us have a number, a ceiling in our mind, above which we will feel guilty or greedy for making. So we need to know what that is, because if we don't know what it is and you have it, it's going to be a glass ceiling and your brain will do everything in its power to act as subterfuge and prevent you from making above that amount of money to protect you from feeling guilty or greedy. Because remember, one of the brain's primary jobs is to avoid pain, including the feeling of guilt or greed. And the other piece in here before I wrap up is not wanting to make money for fear of appearances being that that money is coming from fraud or graft or corruption. And because accountants do not want to have any appearance of fraud or graft or corruption and do not want to be on the slippery slope to fraud or graft or corruption what they may inadvertently be doing is limiting their revenue so as to not risk raising appearance of fraud or graft or corruption and as i've been told some accountants in school along the way get told that wanting money is a slippery slope to graft, fraud, and corruption. So they avoid it by limiting revenue. You can see how it makes sense, but the way to avoid fraud, graft, and corruption is to simply not commit fraud, graft, or corruption. It's the same kind of thing as eating to soothe stress. This doesn't solve that. Not making more money is not the solution to prevent fraud or graft or corruption. The way to prevent fraud, graft, or corruption is simply to not commit them but not wanting to make more money is not the solution. Some CPAs may be inadvertently limiting their own revenue to protect from the appearance of the risk. So lots of great mindset problems, lots of great tactical problems. I cannot let go of a good problem, and I don't stop until I find the solution. And I wanted you to have a complete solution. Because giving you tactics without giving you the mindset help that you need is like having a one-sided zipper, right? And giving you only the mindset without the tactics that you need is like having the other side of the zipper or one strand of DNA. DNA needs two strands to work. It doesn't work without two strands. And it's the same in your business. It doesn't work without tactical solutions. And it doesn't work without mindset solutions. And they are both baked into the design of down to 40 hours CPA mastermind. So come get your tactical solutions, come and get your mindset solutions. This is how you can get down to the work week that you wanna have and bring in the revenue that you wanna have. Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Hi again, would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In down to 40 hours CPA mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.